Bacon and eggs. Think I love bacon and eggs. Not even kidding. Like, probably one of my favorite breakfasts, right? Now, um, how you make your eggs, though, matters. Okay? Can, can we just, like, have a moment of real conversation right now? Don't be adding no ketchup to your eggs. Okay? I'm sorry. That's a desecration to the egg. No ketchup. Another thing I need to tell y'all, all right? Don't be adding no milk to your eggs. That is not how God intended it. I don't care if you think it makes them fluffier. They ain't supposed to be that fluffy, all right? Get rid of the milk. I don't care what. I ain't a gardener or whoever it is out there. All right, we are not using milk. Two ways you can make your eggs. You can scramble them like this. Traditional, delicious, amazing, all right? Or you can go over easy, all right? Over hard, you went too far, okay? Like, that's just like you went too... If you just leave them sunny side up and kind of runny, disgusting, all right? Let's make sure we cook now. Same thing for bacon, okay? Bacon ought to be crispy, okay? That's how it's supposed to be now. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them how you like your bacon and eggs. Well, I continue to finish the bite. Mm-mm-mm. I could see some people really looking at me with disdain when I said no milk in your eggs. One, one particular uh, woman up front who will remain nameless, who's not making eye contact because she knows exactly who I'm talking about right now. Yeah, uh-huh. No, um, I love bacon and eggs. I really do. But when you think about bacon and eggs, okay, my favorite breakfast, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. You know what I'm saying? Think about that. The chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. Now, some of you are just getting that right now. Like, what does he mean? Oh, yeah. Which brings up a question. What kind of a Christian are you? Are you a chicken Christian or a pig Christian? If you have your Bibles today, I'd love you to open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You see, when it comes to our faith, it's possible to view it like the chicken. It's involved. There's something there, but it's really not sacrificing anything. But for the pig, it means everything. What kind of a Christian are you? Romans chapter 12. Now, uh, I will say, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, if you remember in the fall, we spent about 8-10 weeks walking through the first 11 chapters of Romans. Now, we're going to be diving back in as we kick off this kind of new series, but it's really a continuation of our fall series, looking at the last five chapters of Romans, starting here in chapter 12. What I'd like to do this morning is read Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're just going to be looking at two verses. After we read it, I'm going to walk back through, just highlighting a few things from it. And then I'd like to finish with an illustration that hopefully brings it all home. Cool? All right, let's read Romans chapter 12, 
I'll start in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's jump back to the very beginning. Therefore, remember I've said this to you before? Anytime you see a therefore, you have to say, what's the therefore? Therefore, very good. That's right, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, this is actually a huge linchpin verse because what Paul is doing is connecting the first 11 chapters, which has really been a theology of what it means to be a Christian. What are the things that we need to believe? What are the things that we need to understand about Christ's death and resurrection and, and, and how it impacts what we believe and how we think. And so the first 11 chapters have really been talking about theology. Now, a lot of times we hear the word theology and we get like, oh, that's like that big stuff. Like that's like kind of crazy. And you have, like you got to go to school for that. All it means is study of God. So the first 11 chapters, Paul's just been explaining who God is, what God's been up to in Jesus, what that means for us, what, what, what is humanity's condition. All right. But there's a lot of us that, because we grew up in West Michigan, we kind of grew up around the church. And so we know the stories of the Bible. We know the right answers. If somebody asks us an answer, we kind of know like, okay, that's the right answer. But theology, if it is not connected to transformation and how we live our lives, is really fairly useless. It's kind of like senior year calculus. You know what I'm saying? All right. Or <laughs> if you're like me and you weren't that smart, uh, I never even made it there. I think I had to take pre-algebra twice or something like that. So, But you understand what I'm saying. You did calculus. How many of you used calculus last week? Engineers and scientists. You're the ones, all right? You're the ones, and they're all proud of it. Like, I do. That's awesome. Actually, that's exactly why we need some people to study calculus. Nobody cares whether you know calculus. People care about whether you know how to use calculus. Nobody cares whether you know theology. We care about whether or not we know how to use theology. You see, what Paul says in this therefore is he's saying, I have explained to you what you need to know, but now I need to explain to you why it matters. That's why the therefore, what the therefore is therefore. Paul says this, therefore, I urge you. Now, that's kind of a funny word in the English language when you start thinking about it, right? You know some of those words in, like, English that the more you say it, the more you're like, is that a real word? Urge, 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 urge. Like, it's like, there's something just strange about, like, then you start to question, like, how do you spell it again? Like, is it O's or U's or, like, how do, like, urge. It's a weird word. There's a reason Paul uses the word urge there. He could have just said, uh, therefore... Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. But he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. It's kind of this concept of, of like a dad who's standing in front of his house and the first floor is engulfed in flames and his five-year-old daughter is on the balcony of a second floor window. Or she's on the windowsill there and he's urging her, please, baby, you've got to jump. Baby, you've got to jump. Daddy's here. Daddy will catch you. You can't stay in there. You've got... That's what Paul means when he says, I urge you. It's a, it's, it's a pleading. 
There's a desperate, there's like, he's like saying, look, you have to understand this. You can't just know the right stuff. It has to transform. You have to act on it. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, in view of God's mercy, uh, actually should say in view of God's mercies. It's talking about the plural there, okay? It's not a specific one-time thing God did. It's all the stuff that God does, right? God's love, God's care, God's grace in our lives, the times that he doesn't give us what we deserve and the times that he gives us stuff that we don't deserve. His forbearance, his patience, his forgiveness, his willingness to come alongside of us. He's like, yo, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In other words, when you look at everything God's done. Now, if you're a Christian, this is not a shocking thing. You're like, yeah, okay, I've, I, I know, like God's done some stuff. But how often do we actually stop and take note of it? Like, I'll be honest, like I find myself like I, I'm really quick to kind of move on to the next thing. And, and I'm very, very good at forgetting <laughs> all that God has done. But when I stop, when I actually give myself a minute to start thinking back of all the ways God has cared for me, God has forgiven me when I went the wrong path and he brought me back. Like I begin to get overwhelmed with God's mercy. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think is God's greatest attribute? Okay. This is actually a question that my mentor posed to me about a month ago. Uh, I'll tell you my answer in a second, but right now just turn to the person that you're sitting by. Uh, just even if you're not sure, make a guess. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to call you out. Just turn to the person next to you. And, and what do you think is God's best attribute, greatest attribute? All right, all right, so everybody hopefully shared something. I, I got asked that question by my mentor. This is a guy that I've known for, we've literally been meeting together uh, weekly or bi-weekly for the last 20 years. Uh, I'm 47 or 46. <laughs> I'm trying not to make myself older than that. I'm 46, he's 76. He's 30 years older than me. He's been following Jesus for a long time in his life. He's a guy that I just just immensely look up to him, so grateful for his investment in who I am. And he said, what do you think is God's greatest attribute? And I, and I said to him, first, my first thought that came to mind was holy. Anybody say that? Anybody say holy? Okay. I, and then I was like, ah, wait, holy. And, but, but in the Bible, God also says that he's love. How many of you guys said love? Yeah, okay. So I was like, holy. And I was like, love. And I was like, what do you think? And he's like, yeah, I've been actually thinking about this uh, for a while now. He says, I think God's greatest attribute is his mercy. And I was like, nope. <laughs> no, mines are better. <laughs> Holiness, that's definitely better. Love, that's definitely, that's definitely better. Until I started thinking about it for a while. And I realized that God's holiness and God's love, when they combine and are applied to me personally, that is God's mercy. Thank you. And that's why he says he thinks God's mercy is his greatest attribute. The more that I began to ruminate on that and think about that and let that wash over, the more I began to say, yeah, because that is God's holiness and God's love, but specifically applied. And that's what I want. I want to remember that. 
That's what Paul says. He's like, therefore, based on everything I've told you about the gospel, about your predicament as a sinful human, uh, God's holiness, but also God's love and how he sent Christ, therefore, because of everything you know about the gospel, I urge you, I plead with you, I beg with you, in view of all that God has done, his unbelievable mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, it might be a slight oversimplification to say that uh, in ancient times, religion equaled sacrifice, but not really. I mean, that's really what the ancients, when they thought of the word religion, it instantly equaled sacrifice, okay? Now, usually that meant an animal sacrifice. In some ancient religions, it even at times uh, necessitated a human sacrifice, not in Christianity or even Judaism, thankfully, but religion in ancient times always equaled sacrifice. Religion, though, in modern times, modern civilization, religion equals a set of beliefs. So we often, we read this passage and we kind of miss the full weight of what Paul means when he says, I urge you in view of God's mercies to present or give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay? For the ancient, they understood religion, that equaled sacrifice. That's what it meant. Something had to die. For us, we think that religion is just something that we believe. It's just things that live up here. And what Paul wants us to understand is it's not enough to know. You have to know, right? There's a lot of folks that go around calling themselves Christians, have no idea what the Bible says about anything, who Jesus really was. They don't even really understand what that means to like give themselves to that. You do have to know. But it's not enough to know, right? It's not simply a set of beliefs. You can go to church. You can learn all the Bible stories. You can know the right answers and still not be a Christian. It's not only what you know, it's also what you grow to live out of that. It's a transformational faith. And Paul says, based on everything you know, therefore, I urge you, in view of everything that we know God's done for us, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's two things that Paul wanted us to understand that were differences, though, when it came to Christian sacrifice. Sorry. Whoop, whoop. In the past, animals <laughs> didn't go willingly to be sacrificed, right? They didn't have a choice. Paul wants us to know we have a choice. In fact, we have to make the choice because we are choosing to offer ourselves, our will, as a sacrifice. Secondly, our sacrifice is not physical in the sense that we are not physically going to die. It's the death of our will. Just like Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. That's exactly what we are intended to do. That's a sacrifice we make. We say, God, not my will, but your will. Not what I want to think, but what you think. God, not how I want to live, but how you want me to live. This is the therefore, right? All the stuff you know combined in the transformation of how we live. The first 11 chapters, what we're supposed to know, these next five, how we're supposed to actually live it out. They combine to be a true gospel that transforms, rescues, and saves. Our sacrifice is alive. Then he goes on to say, this is your true and proper worship, okay? True and proper worship. A lot of times when we think of worship, we think like it's singing, like the things that we like sing, which is awesome. I love, I usually sit up in the front row and I get to hear the band and then all y'all. 
I'm just telling you, it's the bomb. I love listening to y'all sing. Some of y'all should try to sit in the front row. It's pretty amazing. You might get spit on, but I'll try to be careful. So it's great to sing and praise, but worship is more than that. Worship isn't just singing at church. Worship is the time when that person who's driving really slow cuts me off, and instead of riding up on their bumper, I actually slow back down and give them space. That's worship. Worship is the time that I actually care for my neighbor, who maybe isn't always kind to me or my kids, but I'm going to love on them. That's worship. Worship is when I'm at the office, and I really want to jump on the gossip bandwagon, but I pull back because of my love for God and my love for my fellow human. That's worship to God. Worship is how we live. Worship is how we spend our money. Worship is how we spend our time, our resources. Worship is how we love our neighbor. Worship is more than just simply the songs we sing. It's our entire life. He says, this is your true and proper worship, to give your life to God, to be a living sacrifice. Now, this is that idea of being sold out to God, right? Like skaters are like, yo, full send, bro, right? It's the full send. It's the, the, the full out, the all in, the holding nothing back, the whole hog, <laughs> pun intended, get it? This is your true act. And then he goes on to say, and don't be conformed to the world or the pattern of this world like a jello mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, uh, this is what it all kind of comes down to. This idea of if we're going to be a living sacrifice, we're going to have to transform our minds, right? All of us are like Jello. You're like, not me, dude. I freaking work out, bruh. No, no, no. All of us. I'm just telling you. The world is trying, has patterns of how they want you to think. So does God. This is an important thing for us to understand. We have to renew our mind. How do you renew your mind? Well, the same way that you renew your body. You pay attention to what you put into it, right? If I want to... To, like, pay attention more, I'm going to have to pay attention to what I eat, what I drink, how much I exercise, right? All those things. I remember when I was in seventh grade, uh, my science teacher, Mr. Zuzak, um, he, I just still don't know why he did this, but he had a, uh, a project for us. Everybody in the class had to learn how to juggle for 30 seconds, three tennis balls, and if you could do it for 30 seconds, you got an A. If you didn't do it for 30 seconds, you failed. Had nothing to do with, like, arcs. Had nothing to do with, uh, um, like, velocity and mass or gravity. I was like, dude, come on, at least do something scientific with it. No, you just had to learn how to juggle for 30 seconds. Now, uh, I had decent eye-hand coordination, okay? But the first time I tried, like, it was, like, not even, like, I couldn't even get them around once. I practiced, and I practiced. And I, now, there were other people in the class, though, that didn't have very good eye-hand coordination. Guess how many of us actually did 30 seconds? The entire class. The entire class got an A, learned how to juggle for 30 seconds, partly because we had a coach who helped us know what to do and gave us tips and tricks, and we had a community of people that were all trying to do it together, and we were encouraging one another, and we actually practiced while we were at home, and we had time in class when we practiced, and we all were able to do it, learn this thing. The same thing is true in how we renew our minds. How you renew your body to learn something is how you renew your mind. It's the same exact thing. Look, all of us, Program things into our mind, don't we? Through repetition, through what we allow in, right? If I started singing, I'm going to take my horse to the 
I'm gonna. Yeah. <laughs> that song hasn't even been popular in like eight months, all right? You probably hadn't even heard it in like the last six months, unless you have a 12 year old son like I do, and then maybe you've heard it. But you still know it. Why? Because you heard it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Even when you didn't want to hear it, you still heard it. Commercials and on the radio and when you're at the mall where any, like every, like in now, 20 years from now, you're probably still going to remember it. Look, the same thing can be true for how we engage with scripture. If we engage with Romans 12, 1 and 2 and just try to memorize it and we, we actually listen to it, as much as we heard Old Town Road, I promise you, 20 years from now, you'd still remember. No problem at all. We have the ability to renew our minds if we put in the work. Now, a lot of times people start hearing that and they think, oh, yeah, that's what this is. I knew it. Christianity is just about works, just what you got to do. It's effort, effort, effort. And I never feel like I can be good enough. Look, if somebody told you that becoming a Christian was going to be easy, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, right? But I'm going to tell you right now, following Christ is not easy. But I'm also going to tell you, following Christ is not just about how good you can do it. There is a partnership between God and between us. There are things that God will do, can do, wants to do through his power, the Holy Spirit that lives in you. And there is a desire and a willingness to engage with God in that partnership. And if you will do that, I promise you, if you will tell God, God, I want to have my mind renewed. I want to engage with you. I want to understand you more. I promise you that is a prayer request God will always answer in the affirmative. He will always say yes to that. He loves to partner with his people to have us renew our minds, not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, um, he goes on to say, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. Okay? So many of us, we want to know, like, man, if God would just give me a book, like, I would read it and I would follow it. Like, if I just had, like, a set of instructions that were, like, super easy and it told me who's to marry, what college to go to, uh, what major I'm supposed to have, who my friends are supposed to be, Annie, Jamie, Alyssa. Like, like if he just had all of it, then I would know. Then I would, and I would do it. Why didn't God just give you, a, like, the book? You're born, you know? You come out and attach the umbilical cord is your book. Like, that'd be awesome, right? Spiral bound, you know, it's awesome, right there. Why? Because God wants a relationship with you. God doesn't want you to do it on your own. God doesn't want you to go off and just say, oh, I got this, it's on me, it's how good. God says, I want you to partner alongside of me. Look, I will tell you this right now. Everything and everyone is trying to tell you how to think. All right? Including God. Who are you going to listen to? So if we were to get serious about this concept, this idea of renewing our mind, what might we do? I'm not telling you these are things you have to do or you need to do right now. I'm just going to give you five things that are possibilities, things that might be valuable for you. Number one, start a Bible reading plan on YouVersion. YouVersion is a Bible app on your phone. It's free. You can download it. Super simple. They got all these plans. It'll help you. They'll send you an email every day. It'll have the chunk you're supposed to read. If you want to know what God says, what God's word says, then read it. Spend some time in it. That's one thing you can do. Kill your Facebook. Kill your Instagram. 
We just told you to make a selfie and post it to your Instagram. You love that? Yeah, look, I know we're not going to kill our Facebooks and Instagram, but some of y'all need to get off sometime. Some of you need to set time limits on how often you're on it. Why? Because Facebook and Instagram, I promise you, is trying to tell you how you're supposed to think. Subtly, sometimes not so subtly. Find some folks who are passionate about their faith and make friends with them. You know what they say? You are the average of the five friends you hang out with the most. There's actually been a lot of research on that. That's true, and there's also even further truth. I can't have time to get into it, but you are the average of the five friends you hang out with the most. So find somebody who's really passionate about their faith that you want to be like and go become their friend. Literally just walk up to them. Yo, Presnell, my name's Torin. What's your name? Logan. Logan. Hey, Logan, uh, I want to be your friend. <laughs> oh, that was not... <laughs> That felt like, hopefully they give you a little warmer reception than Logan just gave me right there. But, look, here's the reality. If they love Jesus truly, they're going to welcome you and be like, yeah, man, let's go. Let's do this. Let's get it together, right? Find your own life verse. Write it on five different four-by-six cards. Hang them everywhere to memorize it. Maybe you want to say Romans 12, 1 and 2. Maybe that's going to be your life verse. Like, that's what I want to be about. So I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to write it on five four-by-six cards. I'm going to put one on my bathroom mirror. I'm going to put the other on the wall across from my toilet. I'm going to put the other one on my refrigerator. I'm going to put the other one in my car. Like, wherever those places are that you spend time, write it there. Put it there. Read it. You will have that thing memorized. And 20 years from now, you'll know Romans 12, 1 and 2 even better than you know Old Town Road. Look, if we're willing to partner with God, God will help us renew our minds. But we have to pay attention to what we put in it. The whole reason we do that is because we want to live that sold-out life, be that living sacrifice. So let me close with a really small illustration that I think will hopefully make this seem a little bit more understandable. Let's assume that this watermelon right here is uh, Christianity, okay? So this is Christianity, and I think there's kind of like three, three folks, three types of folks. Uh, one type, they look at the watermelon, they say, man, that, that, looks, that looks good for some people, but not for me. And so they'll never even taste it. They won't really give God the time to explore the claims of Scripture to see if God's real, if Jesus truly is God's son. Maybe it's fine for some other people, but it ain't for me, man. Then, then there's other folks. They've kind of grown up around the church, okay? And... Uh, they like, they like it, uh, uh, you know, kind of what it can offer. And, and so they will, they will cut a nice little chunk out, okay? Very manageable chunk, all right? And they will, oh, that's good. Oh, I like that. That's kind of nice. But it's a small enough piece that it's not going to mess with too much. It's not going to get them all messy. It's not going to get all over, you know, right? It's just, an, I can man. Mm, that's good. Um, unless the world tells them that that's not good. They're like, oh, mm, you're right. Oh, I'll just put that back. Okay, that, there we go. There we go. Paul says, I'm spitting out. Paul says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. It ain't just a little tiny bit. You can't just be chicken Christian. 
right? You got to be pig Christian. So he's like, get into that thing and grab a chunk out, and then you just rip and go. This is the kind of Christianity Paul wants you to have. The reason, it's still running down my beard, isn't it? It's gross. Oh, my goodness. This is the kind of Christianity, friends, that I want to have. It's a Christianity that says I'm all in. And it might make me look a little weird sometimes, and it might be kind of messy, right? Look, following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is is not about just having this clean, little dainty life. Following Jesus sometimes is messy. It will mess up your life. But it's absolutely the sweetest, greatest thing you can ever do. That's what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And friends, that's what I want for my life and what I want for your life. It's what I want for our church. When you heard Megan talk about what Jesus has done in her life, I wish you could have heard some of the testimonies this morning at 9 a.m., Friends, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Look, we're four, and I love it. And it's, a, it's been an amazing four years. I can't wait for the next four, and quite honestly, the next 40. I probably, hopefully I'll still be alive, but just barely at that point. But I don't want to be a part of a church that we look back on 10 years from now and say, oh yeah, look what Torn and Jordan and some of those great leaders were able to accomplish. If we're a part of a church that we can look back and, and, and attribute it to simply hard work or good this or that, or I don't want to be a part of that church. I want to be a part of a church where people have gone so all in in their faith that God has done things that we look back and say, only God could have done that. Only God could have transformed those lives. Only God could have found that person that didn't think they had any value and worth and invited a friend to love on them and invite them to know what it means to actually love and follow Jesus and go all in on that. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And friends, it's going to take us saying, you know what? As scary as it is, as weird as it may look to some folks, I'm not going to sit back. I'm not just going to take a nibble. I'm going to dive all the way in. I can't make that decision for you. I can't make that decision for you, but I promise you that's what the Holy Spirit is talking to you about right now. That's what happened to me when I was in 10th grade. It's what I'm still trying to run after today. I don't want to simply talk about something that happened before. I want to still be all in today in my 40s. I want that for you. Friends, let's go after it. Full send all the way. Jesus will do things that we will be so baffled by. Father God, that's, that's what we're asking. God, we know that we have a role to play in it. God, we have to partner with you. But God, we don't do it alone. It's not about how awesome we can be, how hard we can work. It's about partnering with you. And when we do that, God, we get your power. It's a power that transforms. It's a power that allows ourselves to die to ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow after you. And God, that's what we want. Let us be individuals. Let us be a collective Let us be this church that does that, God, so we can see more and more of your power moving in people's lives. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Would you please answer that prayer? It's in your beautiful and powerful name. Amen.